You're listening to Temporary Circumstances, and I'm your host, Alina Sowers, a licensed professional counselor in Ohio. And I'm your co-host, Cora Mayfield, also a licensed professional counselor in the state of Ohio. In this podcast, we're going to share some ideas and things that we've learned that aren't too often talked about in mental health, including some taboo topics, if you will, like death and grief, trauma and PTSD, addictions, and others. We will cover some of the worst things imaginable that happen to people around us every single day and how we can help them get through those difficult times. The opinions on this show are ours only and do not reflect any agency that we work for. Today we wanted to spend some time discussing some myths about mental health. So one of the common ones that I wanted to start with is this idea that we as counselors have this magic pill or magic wand that can make our clients feel better. And as much as I wish that was true and that we could do that, unfortunately, that's not how it typically works. So it does take, you know, counseling and mental health takes quite a bit of um, preparation and work on the part of the client. Cora, do you want to go a little more in depth? Yeah. So one of the things that I notice is that people are used to going to the doctor And when they go to the doctor, they tell the doctor all the things that are wrong and the doctor just gives them a pill or tells them a thing to do that's going to make it better. And unfortunately, with counseling, it's not the same with therapy. The client, each each client has something very unique to them and something that will speak to them in a different way. And what might work for somebody does not work at all for somebody else. So a lot of time it's it's trial and error with both the client and the counselor. And it requires that the client has some patience and that they really take the things that they're learning in session home and try them for a while to see if it's working or it needs to go a different direction. Yeah, I think one thing that's important to remember is that, you know, if you do go to counseling, um, that's typically something where we meet with you for about an hour a week. Um, So for an hour a week, we can help you find techniques and interventions and things like that that might be helpful. But outside of that, you spend so much time without counseling. So that is the client's time to process the things that we talk about in counseling and maybe put those things into action. I think something helpful here is to have an open mind about what your expectations are in going into counseling. And discuss those with the counselor when you first start and and set the expectations as far as what does getting better look like? What is my goal for getting better? What do I want my life to be like? And how long do we think this is going to last? Now, I know as a counselor, sometimes predicting that is impossible, but giving an idea of are we talking about five sessions that my employee assistance program is giving me is going to solve all my problems? Are we talking about this is a more long-term thing that we need to, we really need to discuss more? So when we talk about mental health and counseling, it often does tend to be a long-term commitment. Now, it doesn't always have to be. There certainly are um, individuals who struggle with something situationally. You know, something happens. um, Maybe they're going through a breakup or something like that. And counseling can be helpful to just get them through um, that time in their life. However, it can also be a very long-term commitment. Um, You know, I would say probably the average for the clients that I've worked with is six months to a year. But I've also known of clients who follow the same counselor for many, many years, like 20 years or even more. 
Um, so it's absolutely something that varies by the individual and their needs. Um, but with that being said, let's go ahead and move forward with our next myth, uh, which is that people with mental health problems are violent and unpredictable. Well, this is something that we know isn't true. Um, for some specific statistics, according to mentalhealth.gov, only 3 to 5% of violent acts are perpetrated by someone with a serious mental illness. And people with mental illness are actually 10 times more likely to be the victim of a crime, of a violent crime, not perpetrators. So, so we know that this myth is just not true. Um, I think that what happens here is sometimes people think about violent crime and assume that no one without a mental disorder could even begin to perpetrate this. Yeah, I think that what most people think about when it comes to someone who's violent um, and maybe has a mental illness is they tend to think of really horrific events that occur, like um, violent extremism. And it's kind of hard to wrap our heads around that. And how can someone do something like that if they're not mentally ill? But the truth is that not... Everybody who's convicted of a violent crime has a mental health issue. So I remember learning from a particular training that I went to that only about 25% of active shooters and terrorists had a diagnosable mental health disorder before their attack. I think this particular myth comes from a place of fear. People don't understand mental health and they're afraid, basically, of what could happen or the unknown. And I think this is a place where people need to gather more information and have conversations and be open to different ideas in order to stop perpetuating the stigma. Another stigma is that people who are moody are bipolar um, or that people who have depression are just sad and perhaps need to snap out of it. What are your thoughts on that one? This is a particular soapbox of mine. I've seen people before who believe that they have bipolar disorder because they're moody or that they are emotional and can't control their emotions and therefore it must be bipolar disorder. And that's just not true. That's not how this works. I think that something people need to keep in mind is that a lot of these mental health disorders have some very clear criteria that have to be met in order to be diagnosed with that disorder. And that if that's not met, it's just simply not the case. I think people don't understand that and they don't understand why someone might have mood shifts or they don't understand why people have trouble controlling their emotions like their depression and make an assumption that therefore it must be bipolar since they don't understand. What happens a lot of the time, I think, is that people notice that perhaps they're moody or their friend is moody and they tend to self-diagnose or kind of give that diagnosis to their friends or family members that they're bipolar um, and perhaps even jokingly so. Or but, Google it. <laughs> right. But unfortunately, what we're doing is, again, we're just perpetuating the stigma even more and more by doing so. Um, so we do want to take these things seriously. And when we do, we come to recognize that, you know, for example, bipolar actually tends to be very rare. Um, it's not common for someone to be diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Another consideration here, I think, is that different medications work in different ways. And sometimes a medication that is meant for bipolar works with somebody who has anxiety or depression or 
trauma or other mental illnesses. And because the medication was originally for bipolar disorder, they assume they must be bipolar. Um, and I, again, it's just perpetuating the stigma. And as far as depression goes, depression can really be pretty debilitating. Um, I'm sure that you've also had clients, you know, as I have, who have a hard time just getting out of bed because they're so depressed. Um, but when somebody's truly depressed, it tends to take all of their energy out of them. Um, and it can really lead to some negative thought processes, which then can turn into a cycle of sorts, um, where you are having those negative thoughts and feelings, and that's leading into those depressed behaviors, such as not wanting to get out of bed. Um, and then that depression in itself can make clients more depressed. Um, so it's really not as easy as just snapping out of it or just cheering up. I think that there's really a lot of mental disorders that people don't understand and therefore assume that it can just be fixed or somebody just needs to knock it off and act better or that they've had enough time therefore it must be okay even grief can be like that sometimes it everybody's different and sometimes it takes longer sometimes it doesn't and that's okay I think that at some point we need to give each other some grace and allow each other to time to heal from these kinds of things yeah I definitely agree with that um so the next myth is about trauma, um, and we both tend to work um, with trauma a lot. And one thing that I've noticed myself is that there's many times that clients come in and they feel like their trauma is not as bad as someone else's. Um, and so they feel like perhaps it doesn't even qualify as trauma um, or just that it's not as significant. And that is completely not true because the way that you experience trauma is your own individual experience. And if that is something that was traumatic for you, then it was, in fact, traumatic. Um, your trauma absolutely still matters and is still valid. Um, just because someone else might have a different definition of it doesn't take away from your experience. Um, and so, yes, at the end of the day, there is, you know, one person in the world who has it worse than everyone else. But we're probably never going to meet that person. And it also doesn't take away from the pain that you went through or are still going through. Um, so what do you think about that? Um, have you heard that before, Cora? I hear that all the time. And I think part of what's happening here is that people haven't been validated and they try to lower how important this is or how significant it is in their life because they're afraid of people telling them that they were in some way weak or that it's not important or that they have it worse than whoever else. Um, so I, I think that what a lot of times people need is just to be validated that what they went through is super heavy that they need help and it's okay to need help. I know for me, a lot of times, if I just listen to somebody's story and say, wow, that's heavy, that's significant to someone. It validates that the experience they had is important and it's okay to have to deal with that a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, I think probably one of the worst things you can do if someone tells you, hey, you know, I went through this horrible experience, one of the worst things you can do is say, oh, well, you know what? My mom went through something much worse than that. Um, because that completely invalidates what they went through and how they felt. Um, so yeah, I absolutely agree with that. I think that the reason people do that is they're 
trying to tell another person, you know, I understand why you might feel that way. But what it's really doing is saying it's not important or you shouldn't feel that way. So if we listen to each other, I think that that goes a long way. And sometimes with trauma, especially, it's really uncomfortable to sit there and listen to it. Um, and, and if you're not in a place where you can do that, I, I think rather than dismissing it or making it less than or using some defense mechanisms, it's important to just tell somebody, man, that's really hard and I don't think I can hear it right now rather than belittle it. Yeah. Or even just saying, you know, I'm sorry, I don't know what to say, but thank you for telling me or thank you for entrusting me with this information. Um, and just, just sitting there with them as they tell you can really go a long way. I think really sometimes there's nothing to say. Um, and acknowledging, I, I think a lot of times people have a problem trying to find the perfect thing to say to this person, but really sometimes there's just nothing to say and that's okay. Just acknowledge there's nothing to say here. Yeah, absolutely. One other thing that I often hear about trauma is um, clients who say that they had been through something traumatic, but it was a long time ago. And so they have this idea that it no longer matters and that time tends to kind of cure all things. Um, you know, I really wish that was true. I wish time would help cure um, trauma and, and other things that terrible things that people go through. But unfortunately, that's not how it works. Um, and there's all kinds of different symptoms of trauma. So just because you're not having, you know, nightmares or flashbacks on a daily basis doesn't mean that you're not experiencing any symptoms of trauma. And one thing is our, our brains look for patterns. So if you have a traumatic experience, sometimes our brains automatically try to find patterns in other other incidents, other experiences, and and try to relate the trauma to that. It's a fight or flight mechanism, but in doing so, people tend to avoid things. They don't recognize that they're avoiding or certain things make them nervous or they won't talk about certain things or won't be around certain things. And those are all trauma reactions. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's so many different ways that we see those trauma reactions manifest. Um, and that's why it is important to you know, try to process that trauma and hopefully end up in a better place at the end. All right. And so with that, um, I think we have one more myth and that's about suicide. Um, so Cora, do you want to take over this one? Yeah. So the myth is that talking about suicide or addressing suicide with somebody that you believe to be a suicidal will lead to suicide or encourage suicide. You don't put suicide into somebody's heads like it's not like somebody who's suicidal or going down that path you say the word suicide and all of a sudden they're like huh I hadn't thought of that what suicide talking about suicide does is give people more options it gives them a way out so a lot of times when someone is feeling suicidal or nearly suicidal, it's almost like there's a fog, a really dense fog around them. And all they can see is the road directly in front of them. They don't see other roads leading off or other paths. They only see the path that they're down. And that can mean that they don't see other options and they feel trapped. If the only option they're seeing is suicide, 
talking about it begins to lift that fog and allows them to see that there are other options. There's people to talk to. There's mental health. There's going to your primary care physician. There's a lot of other options other than that. But to talk about it actually gives us those other options. And that's really, really important. Information about how you can help, you can go to suicidepreventionlifeline.org. Or if you need to talk to somebody about suicide right now, you can call Suicide Prevention 1-800-273-8255. For more information on these and many more myths about mental health, you can go to nami.org. That's N-A-M-I.org or mentalhealth.gov. And that's it for today. Thanks for listening to Temporary Circumstances. Leave us a review wherever you found us and comment on anything you want to hear more about or have questions on.